Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. Today's episode is brought to you by Nationwide Capital Group. Nationwide Business Capital Group can fund all of your real estate deals as an investor, whether you're looking to do some fix and flips, rentals for buy and hold, you're looking to do some construction loans, some, some lines of credit, commercial, residential, you need some type of creative financing, you're doing something with some seller concessions or carrybacks, you're doing something that you have some credit issues, you're looking for buyer uh, funding for your buyers for your deals, the most absolutely crafty lenders out there right now are a business capital group and they are sponsoring this podcast if you go to www.nicknicknick.com slash links l-i-n-k-s you will see under affiliates get your real estate deals funded click on that it will take you directly to marianne herself marianne will be in contact with you and if there's a way to get it done she will absolutely find the way to get it done just give her the story give her the situation and while a lot of lenders are running away Nationwide Business Capital Group is funding more deals than ever at very competitive rates and terms. They will take great care of you. Mentioned the A-Game Podcast, the Nick LaMagna. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is my good friend and fellow investor, Brian Esty, one of the powerhouses in the cash flow investing in the St. Louis market. He is right now quarantined like the rest of us, so uh, I thought it was a good time to catch up with my buddy, see what he's been doing, see how he's been handling the downtime. And I get a little bit of his backstory because he has a very impressive portfolio, very impressive resume, and uh, leads a very fun and interesting life. So I uh, always like to hear what he's up to. He's always got something fun and interesting cooking. Definitely likes to work hard and play hard. So I will let you, sir, do a, a little bit of a quick intro on yourself. And then uh, I definitely like to hear about your journey of how you got into real estate. And then there's a bunch of different directions I intended to go, which I'm sure whatever your answer now is, is going to take me in 10 other ones. But all good, man. We'll we'll have a good fun hour, and uh, I'll let you I'll let you do the honors. All right. Well, thank you for having me. First of all, um, you say I have a really fun life. This seems kind of normal to me, but I think to a lot of people, it's fun. Um, right now has been the craziest six weeks of my life because I haven't done anything other than stay at my lake house. Um, I think. One of my favorite parts of this whole challenge has been that I was very concerned that I was going to be able to come down here and spend as much time as I wanted to and still run my business at home. And this whole thing has kind of forced me to run 100% remotely and it's worked. So um, that makes me very happy. Uh, but I've been in the business for uh, 20 years. Uh, that makes me feel kind of old, but uh, 20 years. I've been around the business my entire life. My grandfather was a real estate investor. Um, he was one of those people in my life that I idolized and I always wanted to, uh, be exactly like him. And, um, I just spoke to my grandmother this morning and, uh, every time I talk to her, she says, you know, if your grandpa was still alive, he would love to see all this. So, um, I, I just, uh, this is the business that I've always wanted to be in and it's not necessarily because 
of what it gets you. I didn't really understand when I decided I wanted to be in this business, what it got you. Um, I figured that out a lot later in life. I just wanted to be exactly like my grandpa. So um, took my first uh, advice from him and it's been a crazy 20 year ride. So here I am. That's pretty awesome. And I think it's, it's pretty interesting because one of the things I'm finding now, um, again, making me feel old, but all my friends have kids now, or you know, most of them do. So I'm starting to just catch up here and there and just send people texts and say, hey, you know, what's going on? How's everything going? And a few of my friends that hit me back this week who are very, very intelligent, and uh, one of them we were just talking about, Nicole, is that another person, one of the smartest people I know, but some of them are teachers. So I was like, well, hey, you have an unfair advantage because you are a teacher. So now the fact that you have to homeschool your kids, no big deal. And they were like, yeah, except for the fact that my kid thinks I'm a moron and everything I say is wrong and I don't know as much as anybody else. And uh, it's funny because no matter how smart or successful a lot of these parents are to your kid, you're always wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. And I found that sort of funny lately, but you just said the opposite. So I think it's really interesting in the time that I'm seeing more and more people think that they're parents and their grandparents don't have a clue what they're talking about and they want to listen to some yo-yo on YouTube or, or TikTok giving some crappy advice that doesn't yeah. even work that you had the insight to actually listen to your grandfather. That, that's, uh, that's a really good self-awareness. What was it about him that gave him credibility or that made, you, made him stick out as somebody to really pay attention to and listen to? Well, first of all, let's back up for a second. My mom was a third grade teacher for 35 years. So she would try to help me with my schoolwork when I was a kid. And I always told her she didn't know how to do it. So uh, even though she was a teacher. Um, so very specifically, it was my grandfather. Um, uh, here's what I would say. I think it's, uh, you know, you, the, the old expression, uh, I don't know what the expression is, but kids do what they see, right? I mean, they, they see uh, something bad, they do it. They see something good, they do it. Oftentimes they do the exact opposite of their parents. Oftentimes they do the identical thing that their parents did. Um, with my grandpa, it was more so what I saw his life being compared to everybody else. So while he's playing golf, fishing, playing poker and gin rummy with his buddies, traveling the world with my grandma, um, they had six homes at one time uh, back in their heyday. And so I saw this lifestyle and I saw a new Cadillac in my grandma's garage every single year, a brand new one. And uh, I realized okay, you're doing something completely different than everybody else is. Um, so let me see, you know, tell me what it is. And so I started asking him questions from a very, very young age because it was very clear to me when I would go and play golf with him all summer long and my mom and dad were working and everybody else his age was, my grandfather's age was also working because he was in his 50s at the time, 50s and 60s. Um, I'm like, okay. I'm going to start, I'm going to be smart here and I'm going to ask questions because most people uh, usually just talk about how their family did this or their family did that, but they never like followed suit. You know what I mean? And to be very clear, um, every person in my family, when I told them I wanted to be like my grandpa told me I was insane because in their, in their mind, he was a lucky guy. He was smart. He was lucky. He was in the right place at the right time, so on and so forth. So interesting. You know how people think. People think weird. Everybody thinks that there's something 
besides just putting the time in, putting the work in. It's always a scam. And um, I love it because, you know, part of the reason you and I have worked a lot of events and things like that together, we've, got, we've taught a lot of other investors about what we do. But we've had conversations when we're out to dinner, right, having drinks or just hanging out about the things that are going on. You know, we've, we've talked about working on properties and stuff together. So we know all the stuff that goes on in the background. And when you're teaching and you're telling people about your wins, they're just seeing this highlight and going, oh, well, yeah, but for them, but not for me. I mean, but you know that there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the background and everything that you have today, being able to live that lifestyle is because you busted your ass and you put that work in. And people just, for some reason, don't want to hear that because, I don't know, whatever it is. And my theory on it is if you are talking to somebody and they go, well, Brian, how do I have what you have? I want this big portfolio. I want all this cash flow. And you start to go into all the work you have to do for it. And they go, okay, so if I actually put that time and work and I can have that, now they actually have to face the fact that they have the same opportunities that you do, but they don't really want to put the work in. So they go, well, no, 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 it can't possibly be that. It's something else. It's a scam. It's a whatever, you know what I mean? So that part to me is, is really crazy, but I know what it takes to get to that. And I think a lot of people just don't want to put the work in. It's got to be some magical pill. But what you said that I think is super interesting because we, we've had a bunch of conversations about this. I think one time, you, I might be misquoting you, but you told me that you were talking to your mom and she asked you how many properties you owned and you told her and she like went white and was like, I don't like this for you. It's too, it's crazy. You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be having that. So even knowing that it was your grandfather, like everybody I know, a guy just did a podcast with James Krause. While everybody is laid out for quarantine, you know, he's looking at buying more properties. He's running his gym. He's building his online business. He's taking fights with the UFC. And then people are going to look at him in three or four years. And when he goes, I don't have to fight if I don't want to. Well, yeah, but that's because, no, it's, it's not about it. It's because you put the work in just like you guys did. So um, having said that, what is it that, how did you, how did you tune that out? Because it is hard when your family is telling you, that's not what most people do. He just got lucky. You need to go get a job. And when you have a lot of people saying that, you don't know any better. It's very easy for some reason to believe everybody else, even though they're not living most of the time the, the lifestyle that you want or doing anything that most of the people that are telling us to go live paycheck to paycheck are living paycheck to paycheck and they're not happy. So that was a, a long question, but you know where I was going with that. <laughs> well, you know, first of all, when my mom told me, worried about how many properties I had. Uh, um, I, by the time we had gotten to that conversation, I had gotten way past ignoring advice from um, certain people in my life. And here's the thing, if, it, just in case, uh, for some reason, my mom and dad watched this, I just want you to know, um, they were amazing parents. And my mom and dad worked very, very hard. My mom was a school teacher for 35 years. And then she had a second career uh, working for a bank for another fifth that. So, um, they've done well. Um, I, I think that, uh, when something is different to a person or when something doesn't make sense to them, um, I think that people look at with real estate specifically, I think one of the biggest problems that you have is that anybody can buy a house. My mom and dad own a house. Your parents have probably owned homes. Most people own houses in the United United States of America. And when they start adding up all of their expenses for that one house, um, you know, they know that that's what they've been working to pay off 
or pay for most of their entire working career life. And so uh, you say, hey, I got 100 properties, I got 100 cash flowing doors, I got 150 doors, whatever it is, and uh, people like my mom start adding up, okay, uh, mortgage one, mortgage two, mortgage three, uh, the electric bill, the gas bill, the plumbing, the lawn maintenance, the sewer, water, trash. I mean, you start adding all that up and you're like, oh my God, that's an astronomical amount of money. How is that even possible? Um, you just kind of have to write that off as them just not understanding how your business works. Um, I think there are a lot of people that, that uh, give unsolicited financial advice and getting past that and through that um, is probably one of the biggest challenges of owning a business because a lot of times the people who love you the most will tell you not to do something uh, when in all reality, they're just telling you because they don't want something bad to happen to you. So it's in their best interest to tell you not to do it. You know what I mean? So I really think that, um, I really think that, that pushing through that part is very, very difficult. Now for me, I was always kind of an independent person. So that probably, uh, and I also trusted what my, my grandpa did and what he told me, the advice that he gave me as a mentor when, when we first got started. Um, so I wasn't fearful because to me, even though it was the unknown for me, it was the very known for him, um, if that makes sense. So as far as pushing through um, other people telling you not to do something or telling you you're crazy, well, you know, I, I'm sure that there are probably people who've heard this before, but the, the, the truth of it is, if you want to be successful, you're going to have to do a lot of things that other people think you're crazy for, period, period. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, you and I know a lot of successful people and some of the most successful ones that I know have all said that the crazier their people in their life are telling them they are, the more that they know they're onto something. And um, I, I do exactly agree with you too that there's some people that are going to tell you not to chase your dreams or not to do something that is a little bit of the, the path less traveled because they just, they don't want to face it. Then, then they have to face that they could have done something as well. But then there's also the people that are doing it because they just truly are looking out for you and want to protect you. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's that crabs in a bucket syndrome that what are the crabs are pulling you back into the bucket because they think that they're protecting you from the outside or they're just doing it because misery loves company. At the end of the day, you still have to get past it. And I completely understand that, you know, just like you, my, I didn't come from money, but I came from support. My parents both supported me and believed in me. But it was scary because I didn't have a reference point. Whenever I was freaking out and went to them about something, you know, they, they were freaking out too. So having somebody now in the year 2020 that you can reach out to and I can just call you or text you or we can get on a Facebook chat or something like that and actually be able to communicate with other people and other investors that are out there that are doing it and have been through it, I think it's really an exciting time to jump into real estate because, you know, you can talk to people we keep hearing that old cliche of, you know, you're learning from a generation of parents who grew up with parents during the Great Depression that are trying to teach right. you about wealth. They don't understand that. They think about like holding on to every penny. So trying to tune that out now, when I first started getting involved in real estate, I really didn't have anybody to go to that was a credible force to help talk me through that process or keep me up. Whereas now, I mean, there's groups of 
thousands and thousands and thousands of people that everybody's willing to help. So I think it is really a cool time because to me, people don't want to hear that part of it. They want to hear, no, no, just explain me the numbers of how you buy a house. It's like, I can do that. But unless you can get past the mental hurdle of the people in your life trying to tear you down or all the negativity on social media, you're never going to buy that first house anyway. So again, I, I, I do a thousand podcasts like this. Everybody's going to keep saying that some of those mental blocks, are the biggest hurdles to your success and there's still going to be the people that go, I don't want to hear that. That doesn't make a difference to me. Yeah, it does. It makes a huge difference. Well, you know what's interesting? Very specifically during this COVID thing, I actually decided probably five to six weeks ago for the first time, you know, when, you, when you're a successful person in anything, uh, and I know you can relate to this, you're always wanting, you want to be more successful. You want to, you want to go to that next level. It's, it's just this constant, um, you know, people say to me all the time, when are you going to quit? How many properties do you realistically need? Well, I don't know. I mean, how many, how many, how many can I get? You know? Um, but six weeks ago, six, maybe, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I don't even know what month it is right now. I don't know what day it is. Um, but um, whatever it was when all this first started, and I started to think about my business and how it was going to be affected and so on. I thought, okay, um, I know my restaurant's going to close. I know the restaurant's going to be closed for a long time. Um, but it doesn't matter because I own the building. Um, I know that uh, my property management company has got to continue to move and uh, be in business. Um, I really for me the thing that scared me the most was what if the tenants don't pay now how many times have you ever uh talked to one of your students and their question was well what if the tenants don't pay or what if what if everything right and at the time six weeks ago i was sitting there thinking to myself and i was thinking about my business and i was thinking about everything that was going on and i was like all right one of three things is going to happen one, nothing, nothing will happen. Two, I'm going to lose everything. Or three, I'm going to make a lot. And I was 100% comfortable with any of those three things. Once you know something like you and I know this business, once you understand something like you and I understand this business, all of a sudden losing everything and going back to square one where you once were, because we were all there at some point, right? Going back to square one, you're not afraid of it. So I actually think the mark of success is understanding that you are going out there and taking risks every single day for yourself, for your family, for your loved ones. And when you get to the point where you're okay with something failing or losing everything and starting over and just knowing, not hoping, knowing with 100% certainty, yeah, that'll be no big deal. Guess what? I'm just going to start over and do it all over again. Once you're there, once you're there mentally, there is nothing that anybody can say to you that will hold you back and keep you from doing what you want to do. It's getting to that point that I think is really difficult. And I think most people have a fear of loss. And uh, it, this might sound kind of bad. Is it okay if I say it anyway? Yeah, go for it. 
okay, most people have a fear of losing what they already don't have anyway. Your life already is not good. You and I know how amazing this business is and what it can do for you. I, I have been sitting here at my lake house at the Lake of the Ozarks for six weeks accomplishing uh, a whole lot of things, but a whole lot of nothing at the same time because it's not critical that, the, you know what I mean? So I, I feel, and by the way, I'm not bragging. I feel very blessed that I'm in that position. But like my grandma told me this morning when I was on the phone with her, by the way, she's 98 years old and still alive and uh, has never worked a day in her life, old school. But guess what is paying for her $8,000 a month or whatever it is, uh, assisted living bill right now, real estate, right? So she gets it. Um, and I don't even know where my train of thought was going. Uh, at the end of the day, never had. Yeah. So, so what are they so scared of? Right. And that's a question. That's the question of the day, right? That's the question of the decade. I have no idea. Um, it's amazing to me, the people that come to people like you and me, and I know that this has happened to you many, many times in your life. Hey, teach me how to do what you do. Okay, that's fine. But if I waste my time doing it, you're not going to do it anyway. So why would I teach? Right? I have friends that come to me all the time. How do you do this? How do you do that? I can't tell you the number of people that say, oh, I could never be in debt like that. Okay, well, if I weren't in debt like I am, I would never have the money I have. So it's, just, it's a matter of getting past social um, expectations in the United States. There, you know, we talk about having no debt and how that's good. Well, in my business, if I had no debt, I'd have no money. So it's just, it's, it's thinking opposite of most people, I guess, is where it really, it is where it really comes down to. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that that was very well said. It's that fear of loss. And I was just having this conversation with somebody else that that old cliche of, you know, fear and doubt will kill more dreams than failure ever has is 100% true. All the what ifs, like when, when we talk with students and stuff and they have their 100 unit list of all the what if things that could go wrong. It's like, you don't have one thing on there of if this goes well, like, but what if they don't move out and I get 12 people paying rent and then I don't have to work anymore and I can pick, it's, it's all these doomsday scenarios because that's just the closest thing to go to. It's, it's kind of a nutty thing. And, um, you know, anybody who's done anything great, I believe that there's definitely been people that support them, but more times than not, your biggest rock stars, your biggest movie stars, your biggest gurus out there, there's always been people that told them that they were crazy. But if those people didn't go out and do something different, we wouldn't have amazing TV shows and songs and businesses and, you know, social media. And, you know, that, that's really what makes the world go, man. I, I think that that's an amazing thing. That. Um, touching on some of that. So you, you have a big portfolio now. And one of the things you said when we first started was you've had to do everything remotely from there and it's all worked out well. So it's been an interesting time to watch for me because I've always done real estate remotely. It's the only way I've only known, I've always known how to do that. And people used to tell me I was nuts. You still see it sometimes when we go and we teach classes. I don't understand. How do you do it if you can't there? Go with it, go there and see it. But that's not how I want to spend my day. You can put people in there for it. But I think more people are learning now that you really don't have to be there to do that. And it's going to be interesting to see what never goes back. You know, I think right. the landscape of real estate and just business in general has changed. And I think that a lot of this, 
this resistance and these problems are going to cause a, a, almost a, a renaissance of really cool things that come out of it. But um, you didn't get there overnight. So I'd love to hear a little bit of your journey about how you decided to buy your first property, what it was, because usually the first one's the hardest. And then a little bit of the strategy that went into that, how you built up after talking with you a while, all those doors and just the whole strategy of getting them and then refinancing them. And, and you guys have a whole operation in St. Louis that you're one of the top players out there. So, um, but it starts somewhere. So there's a couple of pieces I'd like to hear your, your opinion on from somebody starting from they're just getting into real estate. They want to buy their first door, talk to that person. And then we'll go to somebody who's going, I have a few properties. I still have a nine to five, or maybe it's not really as big as I want to get it. How do I now take it from a hobby to a business and really make something big with it? So when I was, uh, I started this when I was in my real early twenties and, um, like five years ago. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, 20 years ago. And, um, my grandpa said that if you want to retire comfortably, the only way to do it in his opinion was to own rental property. So I said, well, what should I do? And he said, you should go out now. Remember this is the early two thousands. So back then banks would give you money because you were breathing, because they were trying to recover from 2000, 2001. And so he said, and his advice um, was very, very sound at the time. I still own all of those properties. Once we got to 2007 and 2008, I think things had changed a little bit. But back then in the early 2000s, he said, banks are giving away money like water. I want you to go and I want you to borrow as many hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars as you can possibly get a bank to give you on no doc loans. So I went out and bought a, a two unit building and they gave me of course 100% financing. It was a complete wreck. Um, I actually borrowed money, $25,000 from my grandpa to help me get the renovation done faster. Now my grandpa is not the kind of business guy. So there was no giving me anything. The, the money that he lent to me was $25,000. I paid him 6% interest. Um, the expectation was that it was paid back within 24 months. Um, so the, the deal was I went out, I bought the property. I did a lot of sweat equity on the property. I used the $25,000 to get it in good rentable condition. And then of course I went and refinanced it and pulled cash out and paid him back. Um, now at that time, my whole mindset, and you know, it's funny, we talked very, at the very beginning of this, at, of this podcast that kids always do, uh, certain things that their parents do. And they always do opposite things that their parents did. Um, we never turn out exactly like our parents, but you know, like people make fun of all the time because I wash the dishes before they go in the dishwasher. Well, that's because of my mom. Um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm a hard worker because of my dad. My dad, I don't know anybody who can outwork my dad. He's 70 years old. He's the hardest working person I know. Um, uh, so I learned uh, business from my grandpa, but I learned work ethic from my dad. So th there were some mistakes that I made because both of those men really influenced my life. And uh, I listened to a lot of the advice that they gave me growing up. One of the things that my dad always said was, if there is something that you can do yourself to save money, don't pay somebody to do it. 
So I went into my business at the beginning thinking I had to own all of this rental property because that's what my grandpa did. But what I wasn't paying attention to was how he ran his everyday day-to-day life and business. Well, we know from earlier in the conversation, his everyday life was on the golf course. He wasn't at an office. He didn't, um, he, he wasn't the guy who was the worker. Um, that wasn't very clear to me at the time. At the time, you know, I was thinking, okay, I, I know how to mow lawns. I know how to do some construction stuff. Um, I don't know how to manage property, but I'm going to figure it out. I can collect rents. I can show property. I decided that I was going to be, you know, get licensed as a real estate agent so I could be a little bit more legal. Long story short, fast forward to 2012, between 2001 and 2012, I managed to get 12 rental units under my belt, which uh, I was very proud of because nobody my age at that time had one rental property. So I had 12, um, but the problem was is I was working a full-time job and I was working on my properties, another full-time job, another 50, 60 hours a week. So I'm working 120 hours a week. I never had time to do anything fun. So uh, at the time I went out and sought advice from a guy who gave me lots and lots of good advice. One of those things was that I was not working smart at all. I was running around like a crazy person. And I will never forget one time when I sat down with him, uh, he said, let me ask you a question. This is going to sound funny. And I said, okay. He goes, you got 12 rental properties. I said, yeah. He goes, do you open your own mail? And I said, of course I open my own mail. Now, remember, I'm a kid from the middle of nowhere, Missouri, Midwestern all the way through, right? And my dad is, you know, the guy who's in his office from four o'clock in the morning until uh, seven o'clock at night every day, six days a week. So I'm thinking, who else would open my mail? That's the, that's the dumbest question I've ever heard. And he said, until you start having people do some of these tasks that anyone can do, you keep doing them all yourself, how much time do you have in a day? 24 hours. And you're always going to have 24 hours in a day. So until you, until you start passing along these tasks, you're never going to be as successful as you want to be. You can want to be successful, but there are certain steps that you've got to take and that is one of them. Of course, as you've probably said in your business career, as I've said many times, I can't afford to pay somebody to open my mail. What did he say? You can't afford not to. Exactly. <laughs> and so I took this huge leap. And the huge leap was I went out and hired a gal named Laura who still works for me. Best thing I've ever done in my life because the second we hired her and the second we hired a property manager, because I had a property management company that I had created for myself just for, this, for tax purposes. But once we actually made it a real property management company and uh, I had all the right components in place and all the right people in place, all of a sudden the sky's the limit. Um, so there's that, that, that's a long answer, but there's, there's your first answer. Uh, made lots of mistakes along the way. Um, but again, um, once I had gotten to that 12, 12 unit portfolio, my grandfather had already died by then. So, so I knew I wanted to go big, right? But okay, who do I go and talk to? Well, it can't be him. I don't know anybody else in my life who's as, as successful in real estate as he was. So I've got to go find that person. 
Um, so, you know, I, I just, I think that's a really critical point. Um, you, you're going to have a lot of people in business who will tell you that they did everything that they did themselves. They're self-taught. If you really sit down and talk to anybody who's crazy successful and you really start breaking it down, you're like, wait a minute, hold on. Actually, they're not self-taught. And, and I, I'm a firm believer in that. Um, so, excuse me. Um, anyway, um, so there's that. Um, as far as the, that's Matt, say hey. Well, Matt. He's busy. Um, <laughs> second question, I was going to go into the second. Oh, um, so, so since 2011, 2012, um, what we've been doing more than anything is using, uh, to buy the portfolio specifically, we use 100% financing using private money lenders. I don't use hard money lenders. I use private money. Um, we use their money to buy the properties. We use their money to fix the properties. We use their money to hold the properties until we get them in good rentable condition. Uh, we get them cash flowing. And then I go back to commercial lenders. And I've got three that I work with in St. Louis. And we have them refinance the deal. And at refi, obviously, um, the property is now worth more money than it was because we've, you know, value add. And uh, they cash us out. They put us in a, in a 15, I like to go to a 15-year mortgage because I like my properties to be paid off sooner than later, obviously. Um, not because I'm, I want to eliminate debt, but because when I have a paid off property, now I can go borrow against it in the form of a line of credit. Um, but long story short, when they do a cash out on that, on that, uh, mortgage, they pay me a check at closing. I take that check and pay back my private money lender and usually put a little bit of money in my pocket and then go to the next one. Now, here's one thing that I will say. I'm very careful now where I, whereas I was not 2001 to 2008, I was not careful about uh, uh, my debt ratios. So I like to be loan to value. I like to be around 50 or 60%. I will go all the way up to 80% if it's a really, really great cash flowing property. But I like to be, I'd say my entire portfolio is probably 40 to 50% uh, loan to value at, the, at this point. So I'm really careful about that. Um, and if you play your cards right, you can do what I just explained with the private money and pull money out and still be at a really, really low uh, uh, LTV. I think that that's great advice. And that, that's such a great classic way to start to build up one property at a time. And I, I think that's where um, I'll give a shout out to my, my buddy, Pete Dragosell. He's a, one of the, the most famed UFC fighters. The guy, look him up. He's just a warrior. But he's had some downtime and he's been asking me how to, how to kind of get into real estate. And I think that that strategy a couple of times I've gone back to him with it. So if he's listening, that whole thing, I think is a, a great strategy because if you didn't catch it, he used somebody else's money to buy the property. And then he used institutional loans to not only pay that person he bought the money from back, but then put tax-free money back into his pocket in some of those cases. And he still had the equity in the property because he bought it so well at under 50 cents on the dollar and he still had the cash flow in there. And most of the time, in my experience, I'm sure yours isn't that different. When you cut that check back to that investor who lent you the money on that first one, they go, that was awesome. 
let's do that again. I'm just going to give you the money back. And my brother-in-law or my sister-in-law or my girlfriend were watching too to see if this was BS or not. And they want to do it now too. So now you go, well, shit, now I got to get two properties. And you give those two people the money back and they each have a person. Now you got four properties. That's how it starts. But my question for you is, um, I don't think you were born and raised in St. Louis, right? You guys relocated there or... Yeah, so for, for a guy like some of my buddies that are in start states, like a lot of them are in New York. So it's not as easy to buy a cash flowing asset in New York just for the taxes alone. So um, for somebody in some of these other markets that are looking to get in, part of what you guys do is sometimes sell turnkey properties to investors or get them in or wholesale properties that you know can get in there. Because again, people that are worrying about it, that exact scenario where you had said, you're getting in and sometimes your values are 40 or 50 cents in the dollar. This is where everybody freaked out the last time we had a market correction, but the guys that bought them correctly at a low loan to value for the cash flow, even if your values went down 70, 75%, you still aren't underwater on that property. And who cares if you're not selling them anyway, because the cash flow is still coming in. It's paying all of your bills for whatever the hell happens. So you guys can hang out in your cabin, still pay all your bills. And then the market re rebounded anyway, and now you have all this extra equity in there anyway. So um, talk about a little bit of how you guys found your markets to invest in and the difference between investing in some of these great um, landlord-friendly cash flow markets versus some of the New Yorks and Californias out there. Well, first of all, a lot of my clients are from New York and California. Uh, and actually, I shouldn't even say New York. A lot of uh, the Northeast in general. Um, very landlord unfriendly states, super high taxes, um, uh, very difficult to get a, a non-paying tenant out. Um, whereas in like the state of Missouri, for example, if, if you're professionally running your company, you can get a, a non-paying tenant out in 30 to 60 days. And most of the time it's faster than that. So, um, you know, it's really, really important to be in a landlord friendly state for sure. Now that does not mean, and I always have to explain this to people. Oh, okay. So, cause people will come to me when I say things like that. Oh, so in the state of Missouri, you're allowed to be a slumlord and be a complete asshole and, and treat people like, like nothing, you know, uh, you're the rich landlord and you don't take care of your properties. No, 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 no. That's not the way this works. All it means is that I have a responsibility to take care of my properties. They have a responsibility to pay and you're on a more even playing field in a landlord-friendly state. Whereas in a state like New York or in a state like California, the landlord has a responsibility of taking care of their property. The tenant has the responsibility of paying, but the second they don't pay, the landlord's basically SOL. Um, and it can take, you know, eight, 10, I've heard of people taking 12 to 18 months to get a non-paying tenant out, which is, there goes, there goes your business, right? So um, uh, I think that that's really, really important. Now, I'm from Missouri. So uh, I moved to St. Louis 20 years ago with the intention of being there for six months and then moving on to somewhere else. And I ended up landing in that city because I love the old buildings and I loved that there were so many two unit and four unit, um, six unit, eight unit flats that you could buy for not a lot of money. Um, St. Louis is one of those places where you can buy for a great price um, and cash flow high. And, and there are a few very key places like that in the United States. St. Louis happens to be one of them. Um, 
it, you know, here's the thing you put, you, you throw enough money at a property, anything will cash flow. Hmm. Uh, I was looking at another business, which I won't get into right now, but I was looking at another business the other day and the bank came back to me and said, um, you know, we don't like the deal. We, it's not, it has nothing to do with you. We don't like the deal. And I said, well, why not? And they said, well, we just don't, we don't think it's going to cash flow enough, or we actually don't trust that it's going to cash flow enough. And I said, okay, well, fair enough. You, you don't understand the business and that's fine. But wh what, what can we do to make this thing work? And they said, well, we would do it if you put 40% down. And I said, well, that's ludicrous. Nobody's going to put 40% down on a business. The business is supposed to high. Well, that's true. The, the rents are astronomical in California. So are the taxes. And so is the cost of the property. I, I lost you when you said they wanted you to put 40% down on the business. No, oh, you lost me. Sorry. Um, am I back? You're back. Okay. I, I just said, I said, nobody's going to put 40% down on any business because the point to business now, and by the way, I consider a single rental property to be a uh, type of business. It's a small business. I mean, you need more than one if you're going to be successful, but it's still, it's a piece of a small business. The whole point to business is for the business to pay for it. So one of the things that I, I think is really critical and one of the reasons I like St. Louis is that I can be all in a property, a certain amount of money using all other people's money and then get all of my money back. So I am virtually in a property with no money out of pocket and I still have equity. And oftentimes, like you point out, I have tax-free income from pocketing a little bit from that mortgage. And here is the, the, the beautiful thing, in my opinion, about real estate. I can be all in a property, no money out of pocket, hold that property for 15 years, and at that point, the property is free and clear, and I have never paid one dime for the property. Somebody else paid it off. So I got it for free. 15 years from now, I own the property for free. So... I don't know if that answered your question, but the reason I'm in a market like St. Louis is because I can do that. Um, there are lots of great rental markets out there that might have landlord friendly. Uh, I'll give you an example, Texas. In my opinion, Texas is a great uh, state as far as business friendly is concerned, but uh, to make the properties cash flow, it's harder. I think it's harder because their taxes there are so high, property tax. Obviously they have to offset um, you know, no state tax. Um, so I, you just have to look at all of these things and, and, uh, I think, sure, if you want to put a bunch of money out of pocket and put money down on a, a property, anything will cash flow. But the key to any business, in my opinion is, all right, how little money can I put out of pocket and how rich can I get? Just to be real direct about it. Very well said. I love that. Uh, so a, a question that I get also is I, I know you, you know what you're doing as far as that market. But sometimes when I talk to people about St. Louis, they go, oh, St. Louis, it's dangerous. It's a murder capital. It's, you don't want to invest there. You're going to buy a, a shack with drug dealers in it, and they're going to be killing each other every day. So but almost every inner city, even nice places, there's always an area that I, I joke around, like that whole wrong side of the tracks is a very true thing, that you could be on one side of the street, and you're doing great. On the other side of the street, literally, you will be caught dead if you're there after dark. So... Obviously, 
not all of St. Louis, just like not all of Chicago, just like not all of the New York boroughs are cracked ends and gang violence and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's ridiculous, but there are those places in some places. So what's some uh, tips or some advice or something that you do to just make sure that you're not in um, some of those deep areas where even if you get a tenant in, you're probably going to have to evict them in five days and then they're going to trash the place and do it all over again. You know, those, those very high labor intensive types of dangerous markets. Well, I think there's a couple of things that you have to keep in mind here. Um, and there, this is kind of a fine line. So uh, if you look at, I'm just going to guess 80% of my rental portfolio, I wouldn't live in the location of 80% of my rental portfolio because I don't want to. But I'm at a point in life where I have a choice. And, uh, and when I say that, I'm not saying that the properties that are in that 80% are bad. They're just in a location that wouldn't interest me. There's all sorts of places to live in a city. Um, I can think of a million places in Chicago, Illinois, where you live that I would love to live. And I can think of a million places in Chicago, Illinois, where I would hate to live. And actually, many of those places are very wealthy areas in Chicago, right? There's just, everybody has this place that they want to live in this place where they don't. So um, the, the tightrope here that you have to walk as an investor is I think a lot of people get too emotional about um, where the property is and maybe the stigma of that city. Well, I assure you, you can buy a, a, a crack den in any city in the United States of America. Um, that, it's not hard to find. Um, but understand that just because it is in a place where you wouldn't personally live does not mean that it's a bad place. Um, one thing uh, that I've done for myself uh, to keep myself honest on this kind of stuff is that I've realized that, you know, I have people that are in my office that are uh, man helping me manage my properties on a daily basis. And I am very protective of those people. Um, not only because they are, you know, I've known them long enough now that they're my friends. Um, but also, you know, as a business owner, I think you have a responsibility to make sure that your, your staff is safe. So um, my rule for me personally, is that I would never buy a property in a neighborhood where I would be uncomfortable going as a property manager. Now, again, I don't manage my properties anymore, but I put myself in the position in the shoes of my management company and the, the people who work for me. And I'm like, okay, if I wouldn't go there, how can I expect somebody else to go there? Um, the other thing that I do, you know, I, I sell a lot of turnkey properties to investors and, in, you know, that are out of state. Um, my rule is that I would never buy a property and sell it to an investor that I would never own myself. So, um, if you're going to go into a market like St. Louis and you're going to buy turnkey, um, I think it's really, really important that you, uh, investigate who it is that you're buying the property from. A lot of these turnkey operations, they, they buy the property, they put the tenant in, they sell it to you at an upcharge and then it's yours. It's your baby. I've got a client from Seattle right now who has eight properties that she bought from some turnkey yo-yo guy in St. Louis who sold her eight properties and then said, okay, 
uh, here's your property management company. It had nothing to do with him. When I took over the portfolio for her, they were a complete disaster. It was the most disastrous thing I've ever seen in my life. Well, here's the thing. If you've got this guy who you're, who's selling properties to you, but he's not going to have anything to do with the properties after you own them, to me, that is a red flag. And I'm not necessarily saying that that's, that's always the case. I just like to find people in other markets that are, you know, and, and you got to think reasonably. Nick, if I say to you, Nick, I'm going to sell you 15 properties. And whenever you sell, whenever you buy them, uh, my property management company is going to continue to manage them. And we've been managing them for the last five years. Well, now you know that you're probably working with somebody who's pretty reputable because they're willing to continue to work for you even after you've bought them. If they say, I'm going to sell you this portfolio and then I'm out, I think, you know, there, there's a concern there. The other thing too, um, you know, this is 2020. Google Maps does wonderful things. So if I'm going to go and buy a property and I haven't gone up there to look at it, I won't go up and look at a property it to to I I say up because a lot of my stuff in St. Louis is north, um, uh, North County, uh, but a lot of it's South City as well in Central Corridor. But I won't go to look at a property physically because it's a waste of time. Until number one, I have the property under contract and I have had I've done all the due diligence that I could possibly do. Then I will go and actually put my, my eyes on it, perhaps, or I'll send one of my people to go up there and take a look at it. Um, but long story short, if you get on Google Maps and you know you do you do your 360 and you see you know very very poorly maintained properties, properties that are caving in on themselves, um, uh, you know cars on blocks, furniture on the front porches, um, you're clearly in a place that does not have good local ordinances and or does not care how the landlords maintain their properties. So, I mean, don't go there, you know, if it looks clean and tidy, um, there's a, there's a property or I shouldn't say property. There's a neighborhood in North St. Louis, North St. Louis County called Bissell Hills. It's in uh, Bell Fountain neighbors, six, three, one, three, seven. It's one of my favorite places to invest. People are like, Oh my God, you invest there. That's a bad neighborhood. Well, let me tell you, it's maintained 1950s, 1960s neighborhoods that I know of in that area. And I have way more problems with tenants paying their rent in certain good neighborhoods or what people would call good neighborhoods uh, in the city. So, you know, it, I think the, the, the lesson here is you cannot decide emotionally what is a good neighborhood and what is a bad neighborhood. It has to be, sorry, my dogs are barking. Uh, it has to be, um, you, Everything needs to be based on fact and certainty, right? Not what you would want. So I don't know. I probably didn't answer your question, but. No, you did. That was a great answer. That was two All right. both phenomenal answers. Um, okay, so two, two more questions before I let you go. I know your dogs are calling you. One. They're not. They just like to bark at the people walking by. <laughs> First one is knowing what you know now. If a younger version of you walked in today and asked you for advice, what business advice or life advice would you give young Brian Esty? Uh, that, 
that comes straight to my mind. It's the, that's an easy answer. Um, number one, uh, never take advice from somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. They might be somebody that you love, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that uh, they they understand the business that you want to get into. So, um, and just as an example, when 2008 happened, I thought about switching gears and moving into a different business. Um, and I ended up deciding that I wanted to stay in this one and just push through it all. Um, but my grandpa told me when I was a little kid, only take financial and business advice from somebody who's already been there before. Um, 2008, 2009, I sat down with a good friend of mine who owns a bunch of McDonald's franchises because I thought I wanted to maybe get in the franchise business. Now, he made me decide that I didn't want to, um, but he gave me very good advice because he's been down that road. So that's, that's one thing. Um, number two, uh, and as simple and dumb as this is, um, it, it's the best advice I can give. You will never get anywhere or make anything unless you take risks that the general population of people in the world are not willing to take. So if you want a certain level of success, then you're going to have to do what the, the, what the people did before you that are also that successful. It's not going to fall out of the sky. It does take a lot of work, but it also takes a lot of mental push, um, knowing that what you're doing is the right thing and also knowing that uh, what's the worst thing that could happen, right? The worst thing that could happen is that it might not work and so you have to start from square one again. Big deal, right? You're already at square one, so why would you be afraid to go do something that might get you uh, in a much better spot? I love that. I think that that's absolutely fantastic advice. And, you know, for me, again, I'm, to me, nothing stings worse than regret. That, and I could deal with failure. I can deal, I can deal with trying, but the, the pain of just looking back and thinking I could have, would have, I should have, that's just not a person I ever want to be. I'd rather look back and say, I took every shot I ever wanted to, and I got my ass kicked every single time. Than just sit there and be like, oh, I could have done because there's so many people out there. I could have bought real estate. I could have fought in a cage. I could have been a jiu-jitsu, but you didn't because you were too scared about or didn't want to put the work in for or whatever it is. So I think that that's awesome. Now, my last question for you, which might you might just say, hey, I want to second that advice. They're kind of the same question. But if you were going to give just one piece of advice, let's say I was writing a book and this was going to be your chapter and somebody said, I want to bring Brian Estes chapter on what advice he would give me to be successful in life and in business. What would your advice be? And again, you might've just given it. It's probably an add on to what I just said. Um, and, and you actually, what you said a minute ago prompted this thought in my mind. There's not a person out there that's successful that hasn't failed a million times. I cannot tell you the number of times that something didn't work out right. I'll tell you, every time I flip a house, something doesn't work out right. But guess what? You know, I got one right now. Something's not working out right, but I'm going to make 30 grand on it. But the next house, there's going to be something that doesn't work out right. There's, you're, you're going to have problems in business. And I believe that, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that the successes that you have in business come from fixing your own problems. Everybody uh, works somehow or another to make money in this country. And if you work for yourself, you're fixing your own problems and fixing those problems will make you a lot of money. 
If you work for somebody else, you're fixing their problems and fixing their problems will make them a lot of money. So which road do you want to go down? Um, I think that, I think that uh, the, a lot of what holds people back though is that fear of, uh, of problems or some sort of failure. And I assure you that the two people sitting here talking right now have failed just as many times as we've been successful, if not more. Because that's the only way to be successful is to try. Most people just don't try at all because they're so afraid of what might happen. And I'm just like you. I, I hate regretting anything. So you've got to go out there and jump. You just have to do it. I hope that I hope I hope that answers it. That does. That does. It's perfect. You know, sometimes uh I feel cliche when I say things like that, but it's the truth. I mean, that really is what it is. And I agree hundred percent with what you said. So um, anybody looking at your, strangely, you're one of the guys who's not a big social media guy. So if people want to find you, uh, look to buy properties off of you, contact you for any type of business stuff. Um, what's the best way to get in touch with you guys? Uh, best way to get in touch with me is probably to email my assistant and, uh, and, or call my property manager, uh, Teresa. So my assistant is Laura and, uh, uh, her email is Laura at IGM. That stands for iron gate management, stl.com, Laura at IGM stl.com. Or you can call Teresa Henry at 314-800-8390 and they'll get you to the right person. Absolutely outstanding. I thought this was a great conversation. I really enjoyed catching up with you again. You, sir, always bring your A-game, and I appreciate that. Uh, any, any final thoughts before I, I let you go about your day? I appreciate you having me. This is fun. We yeah, should do it again. I 100% agree. I want to get you guys both on. Uh, I value your friendship. You guys have always been a good time. We've had some good times on the road. I hope to get back to him soon, and I'm glad you guys are doing good. Um, I will make sure Nicole checks her phone for some text messages from you. Uh, and uh, I'll, call her. I'll tell her to call you for sure. Let's catch up later in the week. All right, Nick. Thanks, buddy. See ya. Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real Mackenzies, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today. All you need to do for your free online drum lesson is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-632-0585 for your free online drum lesson.